as everyone watches the the presidential debates tonight and and gets uh, despondent over the state of national politics, I want you to uh, contrast that with the terrible state of affairs here in San Francisco, where our huge political issue this week is the fact that one of the supervisors wants to ban public nudity to stop the old naked dudes from hanging out in the town square in the Castro. Why is that a problem? Why is that a problem? What I all I want to know is: Are they going to do anything about the uh, the roller skating hat cocker on the on the embarcadero? Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by JetBrains, makers of RubyMine. If you like having an IDE that provides great inline debugging tools, built-in version control, and intelligent code insight and refactorings, check out RubyMind by going to jetbrains.com ruby. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 74 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Josh Susser. Hey, good morning, everyone. We have Avdi Grimm. Hey, this is Avdi, head chef at rubytapas.com. We also have James Edward Gray. We've had complaints about our jokes, so I'm not opening with a joke this time. We also have David Brady. I just want to start with a warning. Phenylketonurix, this does contain fetal alanine. Okay. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm actually working on an introduction to CoffeeScript webinar or online training that I'm going to be doing. You can get it at uh, intro to coffeescript.eventbrite.com. All right, well, let's get this started. So we're going to be talking about our development environments. Do you mean IDEs? Right. He so we, we, we already leadingly. Right. Yeah, we've <laughs> no, already had that fight. It was more of a topical question, like hookers and blow, or you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So so uh, yeah, so we have a, a development environment. Are we talking about hardware or the software we use, or I think Wait. the answer is yes. The, the chair it's, we sit in, or yeah, yeah, it's full stack, starting at the carpet up. Right. Okay. How many toys are on your desk? What do they do? Ooh, this could be really fun. Actually, <laughs> starting at the carpet up, I have uh, a pair of foam cushiony pads. I, I my good gel pad hasn't shown up yet because I now work at a standing desk. Nice. That's cool. Uh, let's let's I just do go not into, work at a standing desk. <laughs> so I would. Why like not, to work James? A, I would <laughs> like to work at a standing. Oh, oh, that's just. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, that's just how he rolls. <laughs> All right, so how come you don't, Josh? I think a bad week to give up coffee. <laughs> so I, I so much like for the jokes, a, right? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So I, I would like to work at a standing desk. I was actually um, at the Pivotal office yesterday and saw that Sarah May has this really nice setup where she has a standing desk and then a tall chair. So you don't have to to swap between standing and sitting. You don't have to do anything with adjusting the height of the desk. You can just pull the chair in and sit down and you're at the right height. So that's that's very much like a bar stool kind of chair almost. Yeah, although although it's a very fancy chair. Right. So I think the only thing I would dislike about that setup is I could I, I would need a really tall ball to sit on. 
So what are the arguments for a standing desk? Why do people do it? So, so what, I, what I've heard is that it's, it's a little – it's not like completely conclusive about the health benefits of a standing desk. But there is definitely a high correlation between the amount of time you spend on your feet every day and overall physical fitness. And you know, contrary-wise, the amount of time you spend sitting is highly, – highly correlates with obesity. So there's a lot of people who are just like doing standing desks because it's better for their health. It's like definitely – uh, some people with spinal issues do better standing than sitting in a chair all day. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like uh, the some of the stuff that I've read on it, it has more to do with the, the detriments of sitting as opposed to the benefits of standing. But I've, I've seen stuff the other way too. So, mm-hmm. the, Yeah, so I, I, I don't, many people have probably seen my, my uh, I used to have a photo on my Twitter, whatever, about uh, my Twitter photo for uh, me sitting on a ball at my desk. And that, that's really how I prefer it. I, I like sitting on one of those big bouncy exercise balls um, because it keeps my core engaged and it's not like I'm just like sitting slouching on a chair all day. Right. I was doing that for a while. I'm not sure why I stopped. I think it actually was a little tiring. Come to it is because it, it, it takes physical effort. That's the whole point. I don't want to be a slouch all day. So. Yeah. You know, anyway. there's, there's a direct relation to the odds of your ball going flat and the number of kids you have. That that would yes. that's what would happen around here. So <laughs> <laughs> you have to get you have to get the like the the industrial strength kind that that um, the gyms use because we had the cheap kind and they yeah they they pop pretty fast when you have kids around. Right, We're, you get you get the kind that you can put a Bowie knife in and it just kind of bounces off. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, whatever you do, don't get the hippity hop. <laughs> so uh, I have to say, my wife went out. I think it was for Christmas. And she got me a really nice chair from Office Max. I think she spent like eighty bucks on it. What? <laughs> I really want. I really want a better chair, but uh, I'll take what I can get. And she doesn't listen to the show, so I'm not in trouble. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I did get That's yesterday. Not entirely true, Chuck. Won't I be meeting your wife next week? I'm sure I can find a way to get even, James. <laughs> Anyway, um, I, I got uh, I, I had my Mac Pro under my desk for quite a long time, and I just got tired of crawling under there every time I had to get access to it, so I moved it up to the top of my desk, and by doing so, I lost access to a footrest, because I was putting my feet up on it. This is, big so this, this is an interesting question. Who uses a Mac Pro anymore? Dave? I have one. You do? Really? <laughs> I, I, I'm actually Skyping from it. I use it as a telepresence machine so that I can work from my laptop. And uh, I guess it's part of my work environment, so this is relevant to the call. Um, yeah, I've got an extra monitor with a webcam and the microphone. And all the big cheese grater under the desk does right now is handle telepresence. Oh, wow. So that's interesting. I, I use it as my main development machine. And uh, I've got three monitors on it. Yeah, I'm just sitting in this chair with my feet up on this ottoman that I ordered to replace my Mac Pro as where I put my feet. Nice. I'm a I'm just a laptop guy these days. I'm kind of over the desktop thing. Yeah, I I I just can't uh, give up the real estate. You know, the screen size. You know, I I love the what is this like the 27 inch iMac? Yeah, that I have. It's just gorgeous, and I I love being able to have just like tons of source code and windows all over the place. I, I, I have a MacBook Air 11 as well, and I liked it for a while until I started using it for 
like hardcore development, and then I realized that I can't do my uh, the web page designs well in it. It's just too too tiny. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I almost wound up buying a twenty seven inch iMac um, when I was having issues with the Mac Pro due to the power settings. And I don't know if any of you followed that, but anyway, um, so yeah, I, I have a funny feeling that my next major dev machine will probably be a, an iMac. They're, they're really great, especially if you get the SSD option in them. They're just you know, blindingly fast. Yeah, I'd get the SSD, I'd upgrade the RAM, and I'd probably just get a, a Thunderbolt monitor or something to go off to the side so that I have two or three monitors that I can... Because I like having multiple monitors uh, just so I can divide up the the different things that are going on. So I can do dev on one screen, I can have Skype up on the other screen, and I can you know put the web browser in the on the third screen and see what's going on. I'm not a multiple monitor guy. I, I use just virtual screens, you know, and put like, you know, internet-y stuff in one that I can ignore when I'm working, basically, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's it's not as comfortable for me, I guess, to, to look at two different screens, or I guess, or something. So I just I stick to the one. Yeah, yeah. I, for, for me, it's a matter of focus. I don't like having the extra screens. The... You know, huh. f- physiologically, the stuff that happens in your peripheral vision, vision gets higher priority to your brain. And so you really, uh, you know, it's like a survival thing that if, you know, some, some lion is sneaking up on you out of the corner of your vision, you, you really notice it because it could be a threat. So that stuff is really distracting. And if I'm trying to focus on the thing in front of me, having something scroll by in a terminal or my email pop up on the side or whatever is really distracting and keeps me from focusing on what I'm doing. That yeah, is have- really interesting um, because I, I'm the opposite. I've, I've got almost two meters of monitors. Um, I've had to go buy special swing arm stands because my monitors, I've got a, a five-and-a-half-foot a five Ikea desk and I've got two 27-inch monitors and my laptop um, across the thing. And my personality and my psyche are, are wildly different than Josh's. I have rampant ADD. And if I don't give my ADD something to do, it will come get my main thread of focus and say, hey, what you doing? What you doing? And so having three screens up so that I've got a reference document, I've got code in front of me, but I've got reference off to the side, I've got telepresence to the other side, and it puts the baby to sleep, kind of. And it lets, it lets, that's what helps me focus on the thing in the center, is having things that are not bad distractions. You know what I mean? They're, they're like distractions that guide that little extra thread of brain back to the main task at hand. So, so, you're, so you're happiest when you're spinning plates? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're, they're, literally, there's like, and and it varies. Like some days, it, it's not, and I think everybody does this. Like your 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 core CPU power varies because we're biological creatures. There are days when, yeah, I kind of want to just switch down to one monitor and run Think so that I'm only, you know, I can only see one app at a time. But yeah, most of the time, if I don't give my brain seven plates to spin, it will go crazy. It'll chew its own leg off. You know, trying to get out of the trap. So I find that interesting because when I'm sitting and coding, um, I know a lot of folks like listen to music and stuff to kind of, you know, bleed off some of those spare cycles and kind of half listen and, you know, get into a groove. I listen to podcasts when I'm coding. Oh, I can't do that. Which a lot of people think is crazy, but for me, it really... That's because it is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've had so many people go, well, how can you listen to the podcast and code? And for me, it's just, you know, it... 
it's kind of relaxing for one because I can just sit and you know I can get into the cadence of the thinking verbal thinking of the the podcast but the other thing is is that you know I feel like I'm kind of picking up you know and and I don't catch everything in every show that I listen to but you know I, I still can pick up things here or there on uh, uh, about whatever they're talking about and so I don't know it's just kind of an interesting thing for me and and i'm not sure why it works for me so well but if if i can't have that going then i have to have music going i have to have some kind of something that will you know kind of bleed off some of that spare attention the interesting side effect of that is is that having multiple monitors i i don't get sidetracked like if somebody says something to me in skype or something i don't you know, I don't even see it most of the time until, you know, I get a break and start looking around at what else is going on. So the, the music, I think I'm like uh, somewhere between the two poles here because uh, it depends on the kind of programming I'm doing that day. So like if I'm just, uh, you know, throwing out a pretty typical controller with the normal actions and, and hooking it up to some HTML we got or something like that, uh, then I'll take Chuck's route and I'll listen to a podcast as something to keep my brain busy because doing that is just rote to me, so I don't have to think about it. But if I'm doing any kind of programming that I have to think about or uh, design or whatever as I go, uh, then I'll, I'll typically listen to music, but I prefer no words music for that, or at least very low words music. I have a staggering collection of techno and dubstep and trance music, and yeah, it's completely has to be lyric free, or I listen to it. Yeah, I I've also found that uh, techno uh, electronic trance is uh, is great. I use that quite a bit. Sometimes I'll just do in, uh, instrumental guitar kind of stuff, Andy McKee things like that. Yeah, I I haven't looked for it lately, but but. But quite a few years ago, I, I saw a, a study that reported on um, how much of your brain's background processing playing music took up while you were doing a task that required concentration. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, actually listening to classical music you know, burns more you know, CPU cycles because it's such complicated music. Yep. And it, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really toned down the music playing uh, and I and it's really stuff that I I can just essentially tune out uh, so that I can concentrate on the work that I'm doing. I I will almost never play music uh, while I'm programming unless it's to um, like drown out other sounds that would be more distracting. So right. when, when I'm pairing with somebody, you know, you can't have your headphones on listening to music because uh, you got to talk to your pair. Uh, but having a pair next to me to talk means that. Like if you're at a party and you're talking to your friend standing next to you, you don't get distracted by all the other conversations going on around you unless somebody says your name. Um, yeah, pairing or, is one of those great hacks for like getting you off Twitter and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's 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 the the best way for me to be productive. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really good about that. I feel like the. You know, I don't do it often, but the time I have spent doing it is is really productive time. Yeah, yeah. But but the but if I'm in an office where there's people talking all over the place, you know, open plan office, and and I'm soloing and I need to concentrate, then I will definitely you know put on the headphones and listen to some chill music mm-hmm. or some fun music or something. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about noise for just a second, like the, like the inadvertent music, uh, not music. Well, maybe music, but uh, thing. Uh, so I worked out in San Francisco earlier this year, and 
Uh, Josh, you you inadvertently demonstrated this just a second ago while you were talking because um, your mic was open, and we heard the the fire engine go by. And San Francisco's a noisy city. Yeah, I'm on uh, Market Street, and that's the streetcar. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I thought I heard a siren. That's yeah, right. Oh, you yeah. heard a siren? I just tuned it yeah. out. I didn't hear it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly my point. <laughs> yeah, also, I have my window open because it's so freaking hot in the city today, and I yeah. can't have it closed. <laughs> so I live in a, a sleepy little town in Edmond, Oklahoma, so, and I live on a cul-de-sac where cars don't come down unless they're, unless they're you know, have a reason to be here and stuff like that. So, a uh, really quiet city, and... Uh, a lot of times I'll uh, go out on the porch if it's nice, especially in the afternoon, uh, and just program out there for a while. My wife wired it with power for my birthday, so now I can nice. sit out there and be plugged in and, and stuff like that. <laughs> well, well, San Francisco is, is pretty loud. I'm, I'm jealous of your quiet, James. I, I'm, I've been working um, in the Rock Health office in Chinatown for the last few months, and we're right across this, we're like on the main drag in Chinatown, and there's this... Uh, you know, old Chinese guy who sits across the street by the church playing that was a, has it. It's like an erhu. It's those Chinese violins, oh, and he'll pl- he'll play that like all day long. But apparently, he doesn't know any actual Chinese music. He plays <laughs> oh, he plays like old Lang Syne and Oh Susanna for wow. hours. <laughs> I think after a while that would drive me pretty batty. <laughs> yeah, so so I definitely got to put my headphones on when I'm programming there. You got to go teach him Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> one one other thing that I want to bring up regarding noise is sometimes I have to get out of the house. I mean, I work in one of the bedrooms in my house and uh, you know, I just I get tired of staring at the same four walls. And so Do we do we all do that? I do I also work in my yeah. house. Yeah, yeah, I work from home. I work from home about half the time now. And, and I'm actually really excited that um that uh you know, I, I'm going to be in a in a fairly large co-working space starting next week, and and we'll have tons of other developers around to hang out with. So I'm excited. Yeah. So sometimes I wind up going to this uh, restaurant over here that has free Wi-Fi, and working there. And so yeah, I usually put my headphones in and deal with things that way because there's constant noise. There's music playing mm-hmm. overhead, things like that. But do any of us have experience working in coffee shops? Have people done that? Yep. A, li- a little bit. It, I it, it's, it preys on my ADD in all the bad ways. Um, so I, I can't do it very often. I'll do it when I desperately need a change of pace. But for me, the perfect coffee shop experience is actually to go downtown to the city library and sit at one of the tables in the quiet and and work there. Yeah. We've done that a few times, haven't we, Dave? You and me yeah. and yeah. several of the other Rubyists out here will we'll all ping each other yeah. and say, hey. <laughs> hey, Lehigh Library today. Yep. Yep. The, yeah, actually, the, uh, um, I got a ton done that way. At like coffee shops? Yeah. Yeah, it really depends for me on, you know, like Dave said, you know, whether or not I need that change of pace. Um, you know, sometimes just that is enough to kind of jumpstart the creativity and, and get things going. Yeah. I I find it really distracting working. I've tried it a couple times and, there, you know, I can write uh, prose when I'm sitting in a coffee shop. But I have a really hard time writing code. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, even uh, like at conferences, you know, you'll see lots of developers in the open areas programming and stuff. And and uh, I love to program with other people and stuff. But 
those environments for me, you know, every time a person walks by, I catch it out of my eye and I look at who they are and I, I just can't keep a good flow going doing it that way. Yeah. If I'm at a conference and I actually need to program, I sneak into the hotel room. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's so funny that you guys are that way. Cause I mean, I can hyper-focus on something like if I'm reading a book, I mean, my kids can be jumping on the, the same chair I'm sitting in and I, we know I'm oblivious. Mm. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> I guess I'm really lucky in my my coffee shop because um, so yeah, it can be tough when it's a really busy, noisy coffee shop. But I've got this place up the road that's actually it's a um, it's a farm market. Uh, it's well, it's an orchard. So this place has an orchard, and then they've got this this big store where they sell all kinds of of like um, orchard stuff and and baked goods and and general general uh, farm markety stuff. Apple cider, that sort of thing, and uh, they have a cafe attached to it, and it's large and has t- has plenty of power, and it's it's out in the the boondocks of of Pennsylvania, so it's got a beautiful view, and and uh, since it's attached to a, a farm market in the middle of nowhere, instead of being like in the middle of a town, it's actually reasonably quiet. The only problem with it is that all they play is the uh, the serious radio coffee shop station, which apparently consists of the same. 10 acoustic versions of 90s pop songs on constant repeat. So I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know, and I know that that song is freaking annoying. 90s pop tunes. So, and an acoustic. So, what does Kurt Cobain sound like when you can understand him? <laughs> so, next week, the intro music to Ruby's uh, Ruby Rose will change to I Know What I Know, acoustical. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can I can get you a recording of Oh Susanna on the Yahoo. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Someday you're going to be the guy that like that 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 walks up to him and breaks his instrument over his head, and everybody's going to think that you're a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a breaking point. <laughs> I took it for as long as I could. You know, I think this actually uh, uh, this whole discussion, even though we have very different um, tactics, has been very interesting. I think what it says is that. You know, there's a lot of jobs you can do without, you know, really needing to be able to to concentrate intensely. But programming is not one of them. And yeah. while we all have our different tactics and we all have the different things that bother us, it's obvious we all put a large amount of effort into considering what those are yeah. and arranging the environment to be in favor to this. Right? Yeah, yeah really nice. Yeah. Yeah. N- nicely put, James. The other thing that's interesting about that is I think that there's not a lot of appreciation for that from people who who don't have this sort of requirement for their work, and yeah. and and you can see that in the popular culture where if you uh, if you like watch TV shows where people are programming, that they can program by just sort of wiggling their fingers over the keyboard while they're engaged in a really intense conversation with somebody. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. In, a, in an open plan office that's actually a cube farm with low low height walls so that you can't really communicate with anybody but you can overhear everything yeah so so I have to ask um, I, I believe most if not all of us have worked in kind of the office environment whether it's cubicles or they you know they give you a desk in a room with the rest of the dev team how do you how did you how do your work environments differ? Now that you're working from home or working from a co-working space, as opposed to working in that corporate environment, less distracting. But but are, are there were there different things that you did there to cope with that, or 
headphones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely yeah, did that. Essential. It's interesting that I, I think there's a, a dynamic because like now that I work alone, I find myself starved for interaction and I find myself starved for that high bandwidth communication of being able to turn to the person that knows the answer and engage in a, just a casual conversation with them. But then when I move, you know, when I work with a team where I'm embedded and I'm actually in that open plan, by the end of the third day, I'm desperate for quiet time. And so I wonder if it ebbs and flows based on the task or based on my brain chemistry of the day or a combination of the both. The grass is always greener. Yep. <laughs> no matter what you have, you want to do it. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's nice to have, to have the option you know, to do either. I think it's nice to, to spend a lot of my time at home, but certainly uh, occasionally I, I uh, like to get into an office with other people. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, the most productive I've ever been for a sustained period of time was when I was in the huge, crazy, chaotic open plan office at Pivotal because I had a pair sitting next to me all the time and we kept each other focused to the extent that all that all that stuff going on around us really wasn't an issue at all. Yeah, mm. I guess I should be the one to note that, you know, if you work from home, you can still pair. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, true. I yeah, do quite D- a bit. Dave and I can both attest to that with the project we're working on right now. Yep. We have full-time it, telepresence. It's a requirement. It's it's actually pretty nice, though. I need to I need to change pairs cuz I'm I feel like I'm starting to get into a rut and I want I want to get <laughs> I want to get a challenge again, you know, with with, you know, maybe somebody else's expertise on it. So. Yep. Is that the 7 week itch? <laughs> itch. Yeah. Nice. So. They make a cream for that, don't they? <laughs> So um, somebody mentioned just stuff that you have on your desk. I'm curious as to like what kind of office toys you guys have just kicking around your your offices. Scotch. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of programming. Beer fridge. (laughs) I'm a very open space kind of guy. I like uh, uncluttered things. So. Actually, there's very few things on my desk, and most of them are just to look at, like um, uh, pictures or strange Lego collections that I enjoy or things like that. I don't know if I can trust you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I, I, um, I, I was always... I guess some people can do it, but I was always a little leery of those, like, um, you know, desk porn uh, shots that would show up on, what was it, like Lifehacker or something like that. I was like, you know, look at my incredibly minimalist disc, desk with, with nothing going on, on, on. And I was thinking, that is not a desk where a real person does real work. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a sterile environment. Yeah, yeah. If, you at, yeah, if you look at my desk, desk from the front to the back, about the first two-thirds of it, are almost completely open. My laptop's in there. Uh, I have a phone on it and whatever book I'm currently reading. So right now wow. it's the Rogue's book of service-oriented design. But Josh, I want to hear the end of that, of that sentence. Oh, I was, I was saying a clean desk is a sure sign of a sick mind. <laughs> Uh-oh. There was somebody at an office put up a, you know, a cluttered desk is a sign of a cluttered mind. And two days later, somebody had had magic marker underneath it. And an empty desk means. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, it is the unavoidable conclusion. Yes. (laughs) I've known a lot of engineers that had very messy desks and very clean code, so. Yeah, I have to say that... uh... If if my desk is ever clean, it just means I'm not busy enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so true. Well, well, Chuck, I remember you talking uh, months ago about you know, you know, sending out an archaeological expedition to sort through the stacks of papers on your desk. Yeah, I, I did get through that, um, but it's starting to pile up again. It's it's been three weeks since I cleaned my office, so I, it's it's definitely due, but it's not nearly nowhere close to as bad as it's ever gotten. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm I'm gonna like just scan everything and and throw out all the papers. Yeah, I, I have. I, yeah, I have this tendency I, to uh, take a picture of my desk before and after, and <laughs> and yeah, I always get comments on the before. Holy cow! But yeah, I just what, what I just bought saying? a new desk and I I made a rule that it has to be kept absolutely clean. Nothing on the desk at all. In fact, I bought monitor stands so that my monitors wouldn't even sit on my desk. And the only thing allowed to be on my desk is a keyboard, a mouse, and the speakers for my sound system. And that was a week ago. And um, there's about six square inches of desk visible now. <laughs> I've been in your I, I, office before, Dave, and I've seen it where there were six square inches of office available anywhere. Of off- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And well, I know, was standing I mean, in it. Why would we have a flat surface if not to put stuff on? Exactly. Exactly. Are you familiar with the heap data structure or not? <laughs> <laughs> so, so do you guys uh, do you guys go for any ergonomics in your setups? Yes. You know, like like to. monitor si- monitor height, and you know, Dave mentioned the gel pad that he's going to be walking on and stuff like that. Nobody does that split keyboard thing, right? Oh, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen people use that. There's this uh, what the Kinetics keyboard, yeah the the dual the dual grapefruit holder, yeah it's I've seen people who use that and I don't know if they're just like like the people who are really hardcore about typing by these things or that there's some inherent advantage to the geometry of the keyboard that lets people fly on it but I I had a coworker who had carpal tunnel syndrome like like full blown surgery on both wrists and he had one of those keyboards. And it was the only thing he could type on. I like I I I'm a big fan of the Microsoft, you know, just the over the counter, the natural Wave six thousand or whatever it is. And um, I'm like, I handed it to Brett and I said, "What do you think about this?" And he says, "Seriously, I can type on that for about three minutes, and my wrists will cramp up. And a flat keyboard, I can't even twist my wrists down to get my thumbs on the keyboard. So it is absolutely that that Kinesis keyboard absolutely is a an ergonomic uh, thing." But if you look at the positioning of like the control keys and whatnot, I, I almost bought one uh, about two, three weeks ago, and I ended up buying a, a Razer Black Widow instead, which is this really loud keyboard because um, it's got nice key switches in it. And yeah, I have to I have to watch myself and stretch my wrists because I'm used to I'm not used to pronating. It's it, pronation is when you twist your thumb down and your pinky towards the sky. Um, I'm not used to pronating my thumb so much because I used to use the lumpy keyboard that would raise your thumbs up a little bit. And I may, I may have to break down and get one of those kinesises. And trying to use that with Emacs is going to be a nightmare. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Foot pedals. Um, I, I started to develop carpal tunnel syndrome, and it was because I would sit forward, and then I would have my wrist bent up and then reach down with my fingers to type. Yeah. And it was putting, it was putting pressure on my wrists. Whereas now when I code, I tend to lay back in my chair, and I'm laying all, almost all the way back. So I'm, I'm literally, um, my arms are just straight to the keyboard, and, and I haven't had problems since then. And I'm just using one of the little aluminum Mac Bluetooth keyboards. But uh, 
Yeah, that that was a problem for a while. And like the the contoured keyboards, like the the Microsoft ones that kind of have a big swell in the middle of them, that yep. those worked okay for me. But it, it was still a problem, and I would sleep with the the wrist things on every night to to yep. to help my wrists. Interestingly, sitting back kills me, and I, th- I think you and I probably have different. Well, it's very likely that we have different wrist geometry because we're different people. Um, sitting back increases pronation, and so uh, pronation doesn't get you in the wrist; it gets you in the elbow um, on the outside, uh, like where the tend, like the ulnar tendons and whatnot. And that's what I have to watch. Yeah, yeah. The, the only thing I really care about for my uh, ergonomics is that my spine is upright, and I'm not slouching. Right. Right, and and, and uh, I, I find myself in a number of odd positions just because I'm a yogi and I can assume odd positions fairly easily. So, <laughs> like like right now, I'm sitting on my feet on the seat of my chair. So right. yeah, I have my feet tucked underneath me, and because that's a very comfortable position for me. And so it, it's like my my chair is just a platform that like raises the chair up or the floor up a few feet. So uh, one of the um, one of the coolest office setups I saw was uh, a friend at Apple reconfigured his cubicle so that all of the desk surfaces were about a foot off of the floor. He covered the floor with tatami mats. He had a little shoe rack at the entrance of his cube, so you had to take off your shoes to enter <laughs> his cubicle. And he you know, sat on a Zafu cushion uh, at, you know, like he was in meditation po- posture uh, and you know, would, you know, it was just awesome. I loved it. Hmm. I thought of doing that. I did that for a little while when I would like work outside. I had a, I would like stack a a board on some something like some really low blocks and uh you know and and just sit on the ground in front of it. Yeah, I I actually worked with a guy that his cubicle, he went in and he took the desks out except for like one off to the side where he could just put whatever. And then um he brought in his own chair it was kind of like one of those salon chairs that that reclines you know that they put up by the sink and stuff and uh then he got the one of the rolling laptop stands and he jacked it all the way to like four and a half feet and then put his monitors up there and so he he was literally like laying back at a 45 degree angle and it it just positioned his neck i mean he didn't have to crane his neck or anything he just it just positioned him so that he was looking directly at the monitor and then um it would. He had one of those uh, scooped keyboards that we were just talking about that he just held in his lap and just typed there. So I have seen setups like that, and I've seen uh, professionally produced uh, equipment for that. Like you'll see, like some big circle with a chair on the lower half of it, and then you have the monitor and the keyboard attached to the other half of the circle. Yeah. And sure, it looks like you could get in there and your body would be perfectly positioned. And I would be able to do that for maybe five or ten minutes and then I would want to shift to another position. Yep. And and I would be stuck. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I like to be able to have my spine upright and then I like to be able to shift around. So if I were, you know, having a standing desk, it would be I would have to be shifting between standing and sitting fairly yeah. often or whatever. So right. I, I just yeah. think moving around is the best thing that you can do. Yeah. rather than just staying in a fixed position. That's, that's what I'm finding is the huge win for me for standing desk is it actually helps my concentration because I can walk away. I'm already stood up and ready to walk away from the project. If if you know if I hit a tough spot and I need to think about it, I'm like, I'm already standing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so you just hit the escape key. And yeah. <laughs> run away. 
good. We, we've, good. we've talked about ergonomics and we talked about kind of our physical setups. We talked about the machines we're working on. I'm a little bit curious, besides your text editor or IDE, what, what other software do you use as part of your uh, development practice? Yeah, I was, I was going to ask basically the same thing. And the way I was going to say it is, you know, not to start an editor war or anything like that, but what are the, what are the programs that actually contribute to your productivity? Some of that depends on uh, the task at hand. If, I, if I'm doing uh, UI-heavy stuff, uh, and then, um, you know, the, the, I think I even, like, mentioned this as a pick a couple months ago, that the, um, the workflow that I, I had was I would, like, do stuff in Balsamic to mock stuff up, and then I would use Skitch to grab a section of that and then drag it from Skitch into Pivotal Tracker, which would attach it to the story. And and that workflow was really tight for me. I really liked that. So so Balsamic, Skitch, and Pivotal Tracker. Those things work together really well. Right. Anyone Did else? I-, I mean, I'm thinking things along the lines of like Tmux and Guard that, that you know, kind of help out with, with a lot of the, I don't know, just keeping track of things. One of the yeah. things I do is if I'm just programming, like in, say I don't need to look at it in a web browser or something like that, uh, then I like to take my terminal full screen and just get rid of all the distractions uh, and program that way. And I, I have used Tmux quite a bit in the past to um, uh, to manage that. These days, I've gotten into Emacs, and it, I don't really need it anymore because Emacs does all that. that that's how I like to do it. I, and I'll bring up multiple panes and stuff. I split the terminal, of course, and... And, uh, you know, have the code I'm working on beside the tests or uh, beside some shell where I'm uh, running, running some tests or, or, you know, playing with some, something interactively. And, uh, and I'll bring up full screen. But then if I'm, you know, programming a little on a page and I need to see it in a browser at the same time, uh, then I'll, you know, hit the keyboard shortcut to, to unmaximize my terminal. So it's kind of in the corner of my screen and then I'll have the browser on the other side or whatever I'm interacting with while I'm programming. So again, yeah, definitely by the task, but I, I set it up where I can easily go totally into that or or have it alongside something else. So on a related note, the uh, but but coming from the opposite direction of where I like to have multiple monitors and you know like like registered and approved distractions. Uh, one of the pieces of software that I, I just need in my development environment, and we just got it on our the project that Chuck and I are working on, we just got it today, is uh, a CI monitor, uh, just a continuous integration machine. I, I, I live and breathe by having this big green screen or big red screen somewhere telling me that you know stuff is working or stuff isn't working. And uh, one of our guys was saying, well, if the build breaks, it'll send out an email. And I'm like, that's not good enough. I need a green light somewhere to kind of stroke my inner you know, OCD fur. And um, it's, okay, it's Hudson, so by default it's a blue screen. Um, I wish it was green, but you know, we, can, we can work on that later. Um, so that's that's one thing that I love to have uh, up and running somewhere is a visible CI machine that's always up and in my peripheral vision. Have you ever tried uh, the CC menu menu yeah. bar widget? Yeah, it was too small. It it wasn't the, the green light wasn't big enough to to trigger that little heroin release in my brain or whatever <laughs> hormone it is. Um, 
And there was a day when it failed and it turned red, and I didn't notice it for like half an hour. And so, as soon as that, when that happened, I'm like, okay, I'm uninstalling this. This is not an approved tool for David Brady anymore. And those menu bar widgets, it's interesting because, like, uh, you know, everything has a menu bar widget, your Twitter client, whatever, all that. I shut all of those off. <laughs> like, I don't want any of those bothering me if I'm working on something else. I go through and shut off um, noises that programs make when little events happen and badging and all that. I shut all that off so that that way I can shove it on a virtual screen off to the side. And when I want to, you know, get into that stuff, then I'll go over there. James, I I haven't upgraded to Mountain Lion yet. I think you just did recently. Have you been playing with the notification center to help control that stuff? Or Um, or, or are things not using that enough yet? I mostly shut that all off because, again, I find it distracting. Some of the things in it are helpful, and I do like having, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, for the most part, it pops a a thing up, um, and uh, so mostly I shut most of that off. So I have a question. Um, This is is another piece of software that I use, but it ties... Ties back into I, I love the fact that somebody said, "What's your environment?" And we kind of went on this, you know, developer ecology thing, like you know, sound and temperature and 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 all that. That's stuff. kind of telling, though, right? Because it, yeah. what's going on in your head is actually more important than what's going on. Yes, yeah. So um, one, of, I kind of want to. I, I don't want to steer us necessarily back to the ecology thing, but I, I would like to talk about this a little bit. I want to talk about light. I use um, flux. Um, I think it's fl.ux, I think is the, the name of the tool, or flux.app. And um, this is a thing that um, cools off the monitor temperature at sundown. The, uh, the human brain is designed to release um, whatever the wakey chemical, it's not dopamine, it's the other one. Um, but basically the, the counteractive to the melatonin hormone or whatever, um, it, your brain is designed to wake up at sunrise when, the, when the, the, the sun comes up. So when the optic nerve is exposed to blue light, you wake up. And this, this has a holdover effect of up to like four or five hours. And so if you're programming late into the night and you're going to go to bed, you, you, want, you don't want to be coding into this LCD, you know, bright blue light shining in your eyes because you go lay down and your brain is just chemically wired to be awake because you've been staring into the sun it thinks um so i like flux um because it will start to cool the monitor off but i'm having trouble with it i get up in the morning and i'm working in east coast time so i get up and it's dark and i turn my monitors on and they're 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 almost brown i mean they're they're dark they're nighttime colors they're like you should be asleep and i'm like no 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 i need to be awake so i've got to turn on the lights i've got to turn off flux i've got to turn my monitors up to maximum brightness to try and wake myself up um i have i, I want to ask you guys about light if how that affects you and i also want to ask i i find myself unable to program outside because it's just too bright and my monitor's too dim or my laptop is too dim. How do you guys cope with that? Matt, I don't display. Don't get the glossy. Yeah. So one, I, one thing that when I was working in an office, I would always get up and turn off the fluorescent lights above me. And it, it was the same kind of thing. It was, just, it was just too much with the monitor and the lights and everything else. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm not really keen on programming in the dark. Yeah. So um, I, in my office, I actually have the blinds open, and you know I, I just go off of the sunlight. Now it's not direct sunlight because 
Um, I'm on a north-facing wall of my house, but uh, you know it's it's plenty of light during the day, and then and then at night I can turn the overhead light on if I really need it. I, yeah, I'm a big fan of natural light. I despise fluorescent lighting, and and you know the technology's improved a lot in the last couple of decades. That in the 80s when I worked at Xerox and they had fluorescent lighting everywhere, and the monitors were these. You know, there were these old CRTs. Yeah. Know, which were pretty cutting edge back then, the beat frequency of the interaction oh, between, yeah. the, between the, you know, like 60 hertz, you know, uh, you know uh, current for the, um, for the fluorescent lights and the 75 hertz frequency of the display would just like drive my brain insane. Yeah. Um, and and I, so I, I would just like turn off all of the fluorescent lights in the room and we would have desk lamps that were fine. The, um, that my ideal setup in my in my office nook at home is I have my iMac and it's it you know my desk is up against a wall so I have a little halogen desk lamp that I've put on the desk behind the iMac and when it's when just the natural light through the windows isn't enough I'll turn that light on and having the halogen light behind the monitor means that the you know I have the light reflecting off the wall behind the monitor and that's actually a really good way to uh, raise the level of ambient lighting in my yeah. area without having it shining in my eyes or reflecting off the screen or whatever. And it, and it's nice. It, I did it kind of by accident one day because my desk was too crowded and discovered how awesome it was. So <laughs> I, I, I definitely recommend that setup. I, I kind of like that idea. It sounds good. I like, I like programming outside. Like I've said, a lot of times I'll go to the, um, you know, porch and program there. It didn't get good until I, I switched to a matte display. If you have, a glossy display, especially one of Apple's, and you go outside, your your computer is just a sheet of black glass. Yeah. Um, so there's there's no way you can do that. Um, so, so did you did you did you get a a sticker thing that you put over your screen, or did you order the matte screen option with your laptop? No, I got the matte screen option on the latest MacBooks. They have it. Um, and- <laughs> Don't you find it hilarious that like? Ten years ago, the glossy screen was the extra cost option, and now right. it's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. yeah now it's the mat. Yeah, now it's it's got to be the mat, and and uh, you can really tell because um, uh, right now my wife has the glossy laptop, and I mean, if you take them outside, it's it's a dramatic difference. Um, so I, I had to do that, um, and I've I've kind of uh, played around with the outside programming a little and a couple of hacks like. Um, a lot of times in the heat of the summer, um, uh, my wife and daughter will go over and swim uh, at a pool at my father-in-law's house. So I'll go over there with them and just uh, sit poolside and program while they do that. And I really enjoy that because I get the sunshine and every now and then I can take a break and watch the girls playing and stuff. So uh, programming poolside has been a lot of fun for me. That's cool. Yeah. For, for me, the big things are just I, I, programming outside is the temperature. You know, if I get too warm or too cold, then it, it just doesn't work. But uh, the the fresh air and stuff is, is really nice. I've done it a few times, but I haven't really made it work unless, you know, it's kind of ideal situation outside. So it, I'd forgotten the fluorescent, the beat frequency thing. I, I remember having it be so bad in one office 20 years ago that if the lights were on, the text on the screen would actually wiggle. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so, are you are you sure it wasn't some of the, your medication, Dave? Yeah, yeah well, that could have been. That could have been. Somebody was uh, shaking the table, and everybody didn't. Yeah, even know. Um, yeah. You know, but I have a love hate relationship with Apple's um, 
feature where they detect the uh, lighting in the room and they adjust the screen brightness oh, and the yeah. keyboard backlighting based on that. I, I always turn that stuff off. <laughs> yeah, they always get it wrong. I, yeah. I love the keyboard backlighting and stuff like that, especially if I'm programming on the porch. We have some warm evenings, especially in the summer, and I'll, I'll stay out there on into the night. And as it gets started, I love it when it brings up the keyboard backlighting and stuff, and that's almost perfect. But then as I sit there and program over time, I notice that, like, wow, why can't I read the screen anymore? It's because the screen brightness is just so tanked, you know, according to yeah. that feature. I wish I could separate the two, the screen from the, uh, uh, from the thing. I would, I would do that. Yeah. I, I find that Apple, the automatically adjusted brightness won't go dark enough um, if I'm in a room with no other light except for the laptop. And it, it's, it's interesting because 20 years ago, I got, well, actually, it was, this is only 15, this is 12 years ago. I got the nickname Basement Troll because I would come in, I had an office down in the downstairs of the building. We had, it was mandatory in our office. There were just two of us and we both agreed to it. So we were both called the Basement Trolls. We, there were no lights in our office. The only light was coming from the CRT. And you had to work, this leads to my next question, you had to have a black background and a, you know, light text and you had, you know, so you wanted the, and you wanted the contrast turned down and the brightness turned down. And we worked with it just as dark as possible. And we found that very, very relaxing. Now that I'm 41, I have to have it the other way around. I need the room filled with light. Um, I need a white background with black text. I, I'm curious uh, how much contrast and how much ambient light you guys prefer to work in. It, it depends on how I'm um, angry or depressed or whatever I am. <laughs> I, sometimes need, sometimes they need something to complement my emotional state. Sometimes they need something to lift me out of it. To, to counter it, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. As, as far as, I mean, it has to be high enough contrast, obviously, that you can use it. But uh, I'm, I'm good with either light on, uh, light on dark or dark on light. I, I, just, I just switch depending on, you know, whatever yeah. I feel like. I, de- I definitely prefer a dark background with... Uh, uh, lighter text. I use the tomorrow theme these days, um, and it's the the dark one I prefer. I can't remember. There's a few variations of it, but I like the dark one. It's only well, a day a, away. If, if you have a link to that, that'd be cool. I'm I'm always looking for a, for a good uh, a good dark background color theme. Yeah, okay. and if there's uh, if there's yeah. an inverse of it, I'd like to see it. I'm I am there I'm is just... an inverse. That's what I love about it. Because um, when I do. Um, Slide, uh, slides or something, then I want the opposite. I want the light yeah. background with the uh, dark text. And what I do is just switch to the inverse theme. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say this. I don't like the solarized theme. Um, it's not high enough contrast, and I, I hate the color schemes, light or dark. I think I tried it, and I think I found other things that I liked better. I didn't hate it, but I, I don't like the exact- colors of solarized. Yeah. See, I had the exact same reaction. I did not like that theme. Uh, I really appreciate like how they built it and stuff, and right. I thought that was awesome. Um, but I didn't like the colors on it. And um, yeah. tomorrow, to me, is like solarized, but with good colors. I'll, I'll put yeah. a link in the show notes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I just found it. It looks really nice. I've actually been using Zenburn for a while in Emacs, and uh, it's pretty nice as low contrast themes go. It's it's it's. I find it. Color-wise, I find it attractive. Now, for um, Ruby Tapas, I've been using, um, I think, something called, uh, it's either Monokai or Molokai. I can't remember. I think I'm using the Molokai variant, which is not as 
as low contrast, but it's it's similar to a theme that I saw a bunch of people using it at Hash Rocket, and it's nice for like showing something to somebody else because it, it kind of pops. Nice. The, the the main objection I have with most themes is that the selection highlight color is yes. not high enough contrast. That's and then true. if I'm if I'm doing something like, you know, finding something you know, finding something in a in a buffer or a tab and and I can't see the single character or the two characters because the only highlight of them is the is the selection color around them. It's terrible. It's like, oh, wait, where the hell is it on that screen? <laughs> yeah, that so. is a chronic problem with a lot of games. Yeah, I need like a like to be able to just like have a spring loaded button, like the fun- like hold down the function key and the highlight color will pop. Would be great. <laughs> just something so I can find it. Yeah, I've been using Night Lion in my terminal. I'll put a link in there as well because it's it's one that I this is the one I've stuck with the longest. Um, we're running low on time, and there is another thing that we did mention that I want to talk about before we move mm-hmm. along to picks, and that is Mac versus Linux. Okay. Wait, so we're, no we're, Windows? We're, we're all agreed that we're just not even going to consider Windows? Yeah, what the heck? Do any of us actually use Windows on a regular basis? I just want to point out that Sandy Metz uses Windows. <laughs> oh. Ouch. That's what? it. I'm switching. Yep. 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 What, what, would, what would Sandy Metz do? Yeah. I'm switching to Windows. It's time to think different. <laughs> I, use, I use Windows on a regular basis because um, I use my, I do my video editing in a, uh, a Windows VM. Mm, right. What about just coding? I, I remember it was uh, World of Pain when I started coding in Ruby. That that was four or five I years ago. I've been using Ubuntu for that for years. Yeah. I, so I, the the common wisdom, my, my understanding of it is that. If you have the um, option to program on a on a flavor of of Unix, including Mac, then doing web development or Ruby development is is much better in in that world than it is on Windows. If you have to use Windows, there are things that you can do, and and I'm not familiar with most of them. So, but I but I know that there's a lot of people who are putting effort into that. Engine Yard, I think, is is continuing to support tooling for doing Ruby development on Windows. Yeah, I think I think that's true, and and obviously people do it, and it, it works fine. Um, programming is largely about manipulating quantities of text, and that's very much at the core of what Unix just does, right? Since basically the entire operating system is controlled by text, right? Text files turn things on and off and stuff like that. So just you know, having a shell and all those various command line utilities that are just builds around tearing that stuff up that to me that is so invaluable yeah i i, I hated doing development on windows but that was just because it was windows <laughs> <laughs> because it has a te- well it has a terrible um terminal yeah. for one thing yeah it's not it's not it's and you know the, you know there's a, the, the shell sucks the it's anyway I, yeah, and, we, don't, we don't need to have that religious word today yeah, yeah i could i could re- i could do all kinds of reminiscing but it's probably worth stating too that you know Ruby grew up in a Unixy environment, you know, and I know that they go through Herculean efforts to try to keep the the Windows side as good, but I I, I really think it probably falls short in some areas. Yeah. That's because it takes a Herculean effort to keep it up to date. Mm-hmm. All right, so, so we we've kind of well, beat on Windows. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you can yeah. 
you can generally make it work with a little bit of effort, a little bit of extra effort, um, where it seems to work seamlessly or more seamlessly on, on Mac or Linux or, or some other Nicks. Um, so as far as working in Linux versus Mac OS, are there any major differences, any major drawbacks to using one or the other? So I'll, I'll chime in on that in my thoughts. I've, I've used a Mac for a long, long time and, and flirted with Linux at various points in the timeline. Ironically, I think now I could probably use Linux pretty comfortably and, and not be too hurt by it, just in that most of the things I do programming-wise are very Unix-y. But uh, I, I think the main reason I stick with the Mac, uh, although this is changing some, uh, is, is it makes everything else so much more comfortable, in my opinion, like, yeah. uh, you know, when I do need to fire up Skype or, or whatever, that's generally, you know, as pleasant an experience as it can be considering it's Skype or, or if I have to edit some video, there's some excellent tools, right, or, or audio or stuff like that, organizing photos, things like that. I, so I really like all of that. Yeah, I, I suspect I could be pretty comfortable in Linux these days for most things, uh, but not. Yeah, I, I I've been using a Mac since since the original Mac, and I I'm incredibly proficient with all of the power moves in the in the UI, and I you know, so I can just fly through stuff on the Mac. So there's it would take a, a very large crowbar to pry me away from from my Macintosh. See, OS. I, I felt that way in the past too. I I too have been a Mac user for like uh, seventeen years or something. I feel like in recent changes in the operating system that Apple's kind of sliding some of those pro moves. Like um, like the recent switch from a two-dimensional set of virtual screens to a one-dimensional set or uh, things like that. You know, that the way they're doing app launching now or, or the checkbox, you know, that you have to check that says, please allow me to download files from the internet or... So there are those kind of issues. On the other hand, the usability of, of the UI itself is, I think, the, the best out there. You can, just the fact that you can, you know, if you, if you open up, a, if you're trying to open a file and you, and you get the file open dialog and you have a finder window or any other window sitting, sitting around and you can, you can just go to the, to the title bar of that window and drag the, the mini icon for that file or folder into the file open dialog and that instantly changes the contents, you know, the positioning of the file dialog to point at that folder or that file. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I love so, that. So, so like that amount of polish is yeah. just so valuable to me that, that you can learn that and you can, so it literally takes me like a second or two to do that rather than like clicking around and navigating all over the place. So that's, yeah, I'm just really used to that. That's a big power advantage for me. So there's, you know, I can't even like consider anything else. So I'm not the right person to ask about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. The- I'm just concerned that Apple is maybe leaving some of us behind, and they're okay with that. Yeah. So I- as the uh, as the Linux representative around here, I guess, unless <laughs> somebody else wants to take that hat. Um, um, there, there are some things I could say, but I'm curious to see what you have to bring to the conversation. So um, I actually wrote up my, my all my thoughts on that in a blog article a while back. Um, I I spent about two years, um, close to two years on the Mac, um, and I was actually at the beginning of that I was all set to basically just completely switch switch my lifestyle over the over to the Mac. And um, at the end of it, I was 
running Linux in a virtual machine. And I wound up once once I moved on from the job that bought me that Mac, I I, I went back to Linux and. For me, it was it was a matter of which things I wanted to spend time maintaining. Linux, of course, has you know is is famous for having hardware support issues. But once you get your hardware support issues ironed out, they tend to stay ironed out. In my experience, anyway, occasionally this is not true, but most of the time it is. Um, whereas I was having endless trouble with package management. You know, with with at the time it was Mac ports, but you know I would I would want to use packages that didn't exist for Mac ports or were poorly maintained. Or, you know, and, and then there would be like endless compile cycles as I was waiting for, for my system to be updated. And then at the end of the compile si- cycle, I'd be greeted by a scroll of hundreds and hundreds of errors because some package was poorly maintained and had a conflict with another one or didn't specify all its dependencies or something stupid like that. And um, and I just didn't have time for that. And, and my experience on uh, Debian-based Linux distributions has always been, uh, first of all, there is a package for anything. Anything There's like 40,000 packages or something. Every you know bit of software under the sun has been packaged. And if there is a package for it, it will install quickly and it will work and it will be up, you know, up and running and configured in a sensible way by the time you, you, uh, you come back with your, with your cup of coffee. And for me, the, uh, the dealing with software packages was taking more time out of my life on the Mac than, than uh, dealing with hardware issues had um, on Linux. Yeah, I have but to I, say there's that there's a lot the, of obscure packages. That's the thing. You know, if you are on the, you know, I, I knew a lot of people that didn't have the same, did not have the same experience as I did, and I would ask them, okay, so what packages are you are you using? And they were basically using the golden path of you know Ruby, Rails, MySQL, and an Apache, and that was it. Um, so if you know if that's you, then it's not really an issue. Yeah. Right. So, so how does that contrast with Homebrew on the Mac? Um, I, I don't. I don't know offhand because I've only been able to watch Homebrew from a distance. Um, the reports that I've been seeing suggest that it, it has the same, well, it has an even tinier, last I checked, it had an even tinier set of, of maintained packages than Mac ports. So, you know, and it's still a source-based uh, package management system. And, and it doesn't have policy. I mean, the thing about, about Debian is, is Debian has policy, which, is, which I describe as basically like Leviticus for package management. It tells you everything. <laughs> about, it is, it's a sledgehammer of exactly how the package must, me, must be laid out to work well with an, an Ubuntu or Debian system. And packages don't make it in until they are you know, set up to be very, very compatible. Uh, so you just don't have to worry about conflicts and stuff like that. So in, in defense of Homebrew slightly, I, I think it's a quite a bit better experience than Macports, um, and it does have some policy. For example, uh, one of the things I think Homebrew gets very right compared to any other uh, package is that generally the Homebrew philosophy is don't replace a package that comes on macOS 10 and is in usable order. Um, so they just don't do those, and they properly link against what's in macOS 10. Whereas the Mac ports view of that is that they, you know, just build their own and bring that in, and then you have all these, you know, different versions. And the problem always comes when something links against the wrong one or whatever. Jeez. And, yeah, yeah I, I I remember trying to install Postgres through through Mac ports a couple right. years ago, and it installed its own implementations of Perl and Ruby. Yeah, <laughs> so, so that it could link to them. And, and Homebrew, when it really does have to violate that, like say, for example, it really needs Readline for this thing because the libedit that ships with macOS 10 isn't quite the same. Uh, it will do that, but it will build Readline and tuck it away 
in uh, in, in its private. Uh, can't remember what they call it, formulas or whatever, in uh, library maybe, in um, user local. And it will build a version of it there, but it will not link that version to places where uh, it would be found globally. And then just for the things that it needs, it will link those to that manually. So in my opinion, it's been a much superior experience uh, and a lot better as far as package coverage, I mean, if, if obviously says it's low compared to Linux, I totally buy that. The uh, Does Homebrew uh, have an equivalent of PPAs, personal package archives? I don't know what that I is. Don't, I don't uh, think so. So, so um, of course, you know, the package coverage is, is huge already, but occasionally there are obscure things that, that haven't made it into the official repos yet. Or there, um, and you can or, always, or there are newer versions that haven't made it. Or, yet. exactly, there are some people maintain, um, you know, Debian and Ubuntu try to pre- stay pretty stable, and sometimes people have newer versions that they maintain. Um, and so it's very easy to add a, a selection of people's personal package archives. You just add the line, basically. Uh, there are some tools for it. And you can, like, you know, you can have a, 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 like I have a special repository for a more recent version of Emacs. Um, yes. That, huh. And it's Home- just... Homebrew yeah. does have that. You um, okay. uh, to build there recently. There's a way to get the OS 10 command line development tools without going the whole Xcode route and stuff. And you can just uh, it, it, it's maintained in a different place, and you can just put the line into Homebrew to get that. And and, and it, it all plays well as far as dependencies. Yes, as near as near as I know. Yes, they will they will work with dependencies and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I believe it's a superior experience. Um, there are I, I've only ever looked for one thing in Homebrew uh, that isn't in there. And when I looked for it, it had an entry that told me why it's not in there and how to go install it. Um, and so, uh, but, but I, I'm sure I use significantly less packages than yeah, you the, use. The, the, the one thing that I really like about Homebrew, and it might make some people cringe and scream in terror, is that the, the process of, of building the package is uh, very easy to understand. It's quite transparent. And the times when I've run into issues trying to install a package and got some error, uh, it was pretty simple to take a look at the output of the log and, and debug what was going on and just modify whatever was the problem in the package and get it to work. Yeah, there was a really good example of that uh, with the move to Mountain Lion. Uh, there was a tool uh, that a lot of people use with Tmux to reattach to OSTAN's GUI to access the pasteboard. And um, that tool had a slight issue on Mountain Lion and the homebrew uh, thing wasn't up to date, uh, but because it is so transparent, it's just a little bit of Ruby code that's doing the build and stuff, uh, Rain, no, was it, no, it wasn't Rain, uh, oh, geez, it was uh, Heinrich, it was Heinrich, I don't, I don't remember who did it now, I'll have to Google it, I think it was Heinrich, um, did, did a very simple gist of, you know, just go in, edit this file, and his gist was really well done, because he even showed you, like, um, you know, here's how to check if it's been fixed in Homebrew yet. So if it has, just do that. Otherwise, make this one line change and then run this, and it'll work fine. Yeah. You know? By the way, Josh, that uh, I was, I you got mm-hmm. me curious about that file dragging to the file open dialog trick. So I tried it out on on Linux and it, uh, on Ubuntu, and it works just fine. Nice, cool, <laughs> awesome. All right, well, we're pretty much well. We're over our time. Um, I think we're an hour and ten minutes into this. Uh, 
episode and we haven't done the picks yet. Um, is, is there any? Are there any critical things that we need to talk about before we move on to the picks? Uh, so, you know, we could probably do a whole whole episode on on sort of like workflow time management uh, procedures, things like that. Sure. The, the the one thing I want to I want to end on is that uh, you know pe- people talk about stuff uh, like the Pomodoro technique. I don't know if have, have people heard of that. It's like yeah. you work you, yep. you you divide your day up into these half hour blocks, and then you work for twenty five minutes focused on your task, and then you you allocate a five minute break at the end of that period to deal with all the things that would otherwise distract you in the middle of things. And supposedly it keeps you very, very focused on your work. And, um, the, uh, I mentioned this when Kent Beck was on and talking about drinking tea during the day, but I'm a, I'm a proponent of the Pimodoro technique. (laughs) You you, you drink a lot of water and then you're forced to take frequent breaks. (laughs) Nice. But but uh, in all seriousness, it's good to, it's good to um, to get up and just move your body uh, on a regular basis and and uh, not get too you know you know like sitting there in you know like hunched over your screen for two or three hours on end without moving is is actually not good for your brain yep. and and getting up and moving around and and shifting your input and getting your your heart moving a little bit is uh, is often a really good thing to do for breaking through the log jam. I've used the Pomodoro technique in the past and really liked it. I, I use kind of my own system now based on something I put together in Emacs, but the, I, I do like the Pomodoro technique. The Prags have a really good book on it called uh, Pomodoro Illustrated uh, that I highly recommend. And um, uh, there's also a really good widget that goes in the Mac uh, menu bar, uh, and it's it's uh, really good. I, I, it was one of the widgets I actually made an exception for to have in my menu bar. It's good. Okay, so nice. that's that's it for me. All right, and we got we're, we're gonna hurry this up. I've been drinking tea, so <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need to finish picks. up the call. <laughs> All right, well let's get to my the picks. My pick is a raging waterfall. <laughs> oh, I hate you, James. <laughs> yeah, well, let's find some uh, ocean noises or river noises to play over the, the show. All right, well, let's do the picks. Uh, David, do you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, Vitamix blenders. Uh, just got one last week. Absolutely love it. Uh, you throw in five frozen strawberries, one banana, and two cups of apple juice, or white grape juice is even better. Uh, set it on the smoothie setting, blend it, walk away, come back 30 seconds later, and you've got an amazing fruit drink. And given our time, that's my picks. <laughs> okay. Avdi, what are your picks? So Ziki is one of my picks. This is a, well, it, it builds itself as a shell console with GUI features. It is sort of a combination of a shell and a wiki, and it's completely indescribable. Uh, you just have to watch the videos to kind of get an idea of 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 what it is. It's sort of a, it's somebody was asking me at Ruby D camp, well, what does it replace? And I, I was at a loss because it's like, uh, well, it didn't really exist before as far as I know. Anyway. Well, um, well the, uh, so, so after the, the thing that it reminds me most of is the, um, workspace window in small talk. That's a good, yeah, it's a good comparison. But, but, but so it's like the, sm- so it's like the small talk work, workspace with structure. Yeah. So, uh, so interestingly, uh, it's what it feels like to use Emacs to me, and it is based on Emacs. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, it it has a, an Emacs UI anyway. Anyway, I had the pleasure of meeting the guy responsible for it, and he demoed it for me at at Gogoruko, and uh, I was I was uh, suitably blown away, and I'm looking forward to having some time to to play with it uh, more myself. 
And uh, also, I will pick the Twitter account TNG underscore S8, which is the next Star Trek, the next, next generation season eight. It's basically um, uh, capsule, capsule descriptions of episodes in a mythical eighth season of Star Trek, the next generation. And it's pretty hilarious. I, I love the ones with Worf. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. I've never heard of this. It's great. Either. James, what are your picks? I've got two. Um, I'm going to go against the grain and not recommend Sandy's book just so that I can recommend something different Sandy did. Ha, ha, ha. Um, she did these two lunch and learns. When what do you she have against at- Sandy's book? <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, I think you disagree. She did these two uh, lunch and learns when she was at Hash Rocket recently. And um, I've already recommended one of them. It was uh, really good. Uh, but this one is on uh, defining object-oriented design. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a great, <laughs> really great video discussion of her going through and, and talking about uh, why we do object-oriented design and stuff and, and has just great points in it, like how uh, good design is how we hide bad code and then it actually doesn't matter that we wrote bad code because it's so easily... Uh, replaced or dealt with or, or things like that. So um, that concept. Uh, also, she uh, has some great questions in there uh, that she addresses. Like um, when she's talking about dependency injection, she says uh, the, the rule that she uses to get it right all the time is uh, never hard code a class name in another class, uh, which is how, it's how you can avoid doing that, right? If your class is making other objects, then there's some kind of dependency there. Whereas if you would just pass that in through the method, you know, and then make whatever's passed, it's so much better for testing and all that kind of stuff. So really great video. It's about an hour. And then for a non-tech pick, uh, I, I having upgraded to uh, Mountain Lion and all that recently, I'm checking out some other Apple stuff and um, I'm using iTunes Match now, uh, which is Apple's paid service. Uh, it, in my opinion, it's ridiculously cheap. It's 25 bucks a year, so what, two bucks a month, I guess. Uh, basically, what it does is um, they scan through your music library, they match everything they already have in the iTunes Music Store, and then upload the rest. So, um, so in my case, I had like uh, 8,500 songs, and I had to upload about 1,000 because uh, they just matched it. And the cool thing about that is, a lot of the old stuff is probably like MP3s ripped off of CDs. It wasn't my case. So, you know, the quality was so-so because I did it, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Uh, But whatever they match, you get at the top iTunes quality, great sounding stuff. So uh, first of all, it's a cheap way to upgrade your music. And then uh, second of all, the reason I, I looked into iTunes match is I was running out of hard drive space on my laptop um, so they match all those songs, and then you can just go through and select them in iTunes and delete, literally. Uh, and it takes it all off your hard drive. I got about 70 gigs of space back doing that. Um, and then uh, when you want to play something, you can just stream it from the cloud it, directly as you're playing it. Uh, so there's a little bit of pause to get there, and of course you have to have the internet. Uh, but if you're going to a place where you know you won't, uh, for any individual playlist or song or whatever, there's download buttons on all of it. You can just hit that button and it'll download it all to your uh, Mac, and then you have it on there while you're uh, while you're out, and then you can take it off later if you want. Uh, so you can bring it down onto your computer if you need to. 
And uh, obviously it works great if you have like an iPad, an iPhone, they can all use the same account and stream music from it. Uh, the only gotcha there is um, uh, the streaming for iOS devices uh, really came in on iOS 6. So if you have a first-generation iPad, like I do, um, that won't upgrade to iOS 6. Um, it can still work with the service, but when it plays a song, it downloads it, literally. So every now and then you may have to go through and clean off what's been downloaded on it. And, uh, or if you're delaying the upgrade to the iOS 6, maybe because of the, the Maps fiasco, uh, then you, you probably won't have a very good experience with it, but... Uh, so far, I'm really liking having my music in the cloud, and I'm using iTunes Match to do that. Those are my picks. Holy cow, James. Did you take over for David? <laughs> <laughs> it was too short. I <laughs> couldn't resist. Sorry. Uh, all right, Josh, let's okay. hear your picks. Cool. Okay, so I, um, I've i been uh, enjoying uh, educational content on YouTube lately, and I, f- I found a really cool uh, set of videos by this guy named CGP Gray. Uh, is he any relation, James? <laughs> anyway, anyway, he uh, he has uh, his uh, his uh, tagline is uh, like complex things explained, and uh, so he he actually you know does these great educational videos about all sorts of topics. Uh, he he definitely has a political bent on some of these things. He's very much a like a I, I don't want to call him a rationalist because he's not yeah, that's like bordering on utilitarianism. But he he really takes complicated subjects and breaks them down. And the, so I'm going to link to his video on talking about why the electoral college is broken, where he demonstrates very simply how someone can be elected president of the United States with 22% of the popular vote. <laughs> so that, that one was really good. Um, I like the one about uh, coffee, uh, which was, uh, you know, I sort of uh, viewed with some nostalgia since I've uh, once again given up a coffee but it, it's a uh, it's fun stuff uh his uh, death to pennies one is also a lot of a lot of uh a lot of cool uh so there's that and then the other thing uh, uh following on that i'm going to um pick the national popular vote interstate compact and that you know given how broken the electoral college is um, in terms of democratically electing a president uh there's this thing going on which is uh a bunch of states have have uh, signed up to change how they select the electors and and a bunch of states are basically saying we're going to assign all of our electors to whoever wins the the popular vote. So well, that's we'll how ne- it works now, right? No. No, no, no. No, not not the national popular vote. They they they, they assign them based on who wins the state. Yes, that's then, what I meant. So so so, the, so if you get enough states like the states with the majority of the of the number of electoral college votes to say, okay, no matter who, how how our state votes, we're going to assign our electors based on whoever wins the the popular vote nationally, and then we'll never have it. so if and if the majority of this of the electoral votes states sign up for that, then it doesn't really matter anymore, and the. You know, you know, just the national popular vote will select the president right. rather than getting in situation. You know, there's like five percent failure rate. He said, you know, uh, CGP Gray says in his video that you know five percent of our elections have resulted in the loser of the popular vote becoming president, and that's a that's a pretty high failure rate for you know such an important process for our country's government. So I, my, my, I'm picking this because there's a number of states that have legislation going through um, about this, 
And uh, if you live in one of the states and you're listening to our show, I'd encourage you to interact with your state legislators to encourage them to support this compact. Those are my picks. They're awfully political, but it's that season. Yeah. All right. So uh, I have a couple of picks. Um, one is related to the topic that we uh, we talked about today, and I'm going to save it for just a minute so that I can pick my other pick first. And it's this book that I just downloaded. I need to put it on my Kindle. Um, it's called Practical Object Oriented Design in Ruby um, by <laughs> Sandy Metz. And, uh, Whoa! Wait, nice. what? I, I'm I'm really looking forward to Ooh. reading this. And is that uh, a book or a talk? It's a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in all seriousness, I really am looking forward to reading it. So uh, I thought I would promote it again. I think it's been picked by just about every one of us. So that being said, um, I'm going to pick it after we do the book club episode. Oh, there we go. So then um, the other pick that I have, I have these Ergotron monitor monitor stands. And, uh, you know, they're, they're adjustable. You can move them pretty much in any direction. And uh, I, I really, really like them. Um, I am actually looking at uh, building something that sits on my desk that would turn it into sort of a standing desk just to see how that works. And so if I do that, then I'll just be able to move these monitor stands up onto there and then set things up so that I can, you know, arrange it so that it's down at my level if I'm sitting and up at my level if I'm standing. So uh, I'll, I'll put a link to those in the show notes. They run between 100 and 150 bucks, but they are really, really nice to have. Anyway, those are my picks. Um, now that we're at the end of the show, we, we neglected to do the best of parlay. Does anyone have something they want to share? I've kind of been busy and I haven't really looked at parlay this week. You know, given as far over time we are, we'll just yeah. maybe, maybe let's just tease people for next week. Yep. And then um, the other thing I want to mention is that um, we'll, th- this will go out in about a week, which gives you about a week to read um, our current book, book club w- book, which is uh, Service Oriented Architecture in Ruby on Rails by Paul Dix. So if you haven't gone and got the book and you haven't read it, um, just be aware that uh, you have about two weeks to read it from when you get this to when that episode will be released. So uh, go pick it up. You can get it on Amazon and uh, and give it a read. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, uh, do, do, I want, do I want to remind people about Ruby Newbie Project? Yes. Um, I actually got the, well, I being my assistant, got my got the post up today. So um, if you go to rubyrogues.com, um, it's, it should be in the list of posts, but you can also just access it in the, the sidebar and I'm going to, I'm going to get it put into the top menu so that you can just find it there too. But, um, we're looking for noobs, um, people who are new to Ruby. You can be new to programming or you can also just be new to Ruby from another programming language. Um, we're trying to get a, a handle on, on your experience there since we've all been doing Ruby for quite a while and, you know, don't quite remember all of the the hardships that we may or may not have gone through learning ruby so um go check it out and uh beyond that thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week bye everybody see ya, see bye. ya.